Well, guys, what a week it has been. I will tell you, uh, I want you to know I truly believe that the enemy has not wanted us to come together like this as one big family. Uh, the kingdom of darkness has been hammering the Whitestone family, hammering the Whitestone staff, hammering the Whitestone elders uh, like you wouldn't believe this week. I mean, he is doing his best to try to cause division, to try to rip us apart. Um, whatever he can do to keep the family of God from gathering, he's trying to do it. But our God is the most high God. Amen? Amen. And if our God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? Amen? And our God says that he will build his church and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. Amen? Amen. And so while the enemy may have done whatever he could, he did not prevail. Look around you. Praise God for that. We're all sitting here today, either online. By the way, wave to your live streamers. I don't know, only they'll see only you guys, so let's all wave to them there. <clears throat> but we are sitting here today, either in person or online, gathered in the name of Jesus to worship together as a family, the God of gods, the King of kings, the creator of this universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our God, that's who we're worshiping today. And uh, our God is here with us today. And that's who I want you to see today. Uh, seeing him is what matters most. Uh, and, and I need you to hear that. Seeing him is what matters most. It truly is. You know, the elders were here Wednesday after the tent got set up and we were, we were uh, in, the, in the church and we were praying and we were spending, spending time worship. And we were getting ready to sing this one song, and uh, Nate said, hey, guys, I, I feel like I'm supposed to say that we're supposed to be thinking about Sunday morning when we sing this song. And so we were like, okay, and so we began to sing this song, and uh, um, you know, I forgot that Nate even said that and just started getting into the song and singing, and about the third verse, we came to the third verse, and suddenly it hit me, it reminded me what Nate said. And so I said, oh yeah, I want to just picture what it's like, going to be like Sunday morning as I'm singing. And, and it was the most amazing thing when as I began to picture that, suddenly I, I was in this tent and I, I saw around the tent angels all the way around and they were locked hands. And here's the weird part. One had a mask and then the other one didn't have a mask. And then one had a mask and the other didn't have a mask. And, and I was a little confused by that. And so right over there, right where you're at, Nate, kind of that area, I, I walked up to an angel and I said, hey, what's with the mask and no mask thing? And the angel looked at me and he said, look, it's because the mask doesn't matter. It's he who matters. And he pointed to the stage and I turned and looked and the Trinity was standing here, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all the glory and majesty. And at that moment, all the angels took a knee like this. And everybody in the sanctuary, they, we all bowed our knees. And guys, I'll tell you, it was the most precious thing to see. And all, I, when I saw the God like that, all this junk going on around us, it didn't matter at all. Because only he matters. Amen? And so that's why I want you to see that. I don't want you to focus on who's wearing a mask and who's not wearing a mask. Don't focus on the division. Don't focus on the distraction. Focus on God. May we see God today. May we dwell in the shadow of our Lord Almighty because seeing him is what matters most. Well, before we go on, there's something else that I want us to do as a church family. Uh, 
You know, this COVID-19 virus came upon us in the month of March. And I'll tell you, for the most part, it's been this huge inconvenience. We've just been trying to, you know, catch up and deal with it. But, you know, in our elders meeting this last Wednesday, it became clear to us that this virus and everything surrounding it is more than just an inconvenience. It's a cloud, it's a cloud of darkness that the enemy is trying to destroy, trying to distract, and trying to divide the church. And quite frankly, we've had enough of it. And so, instead of just reacting to it, we feel like we need to go on the offensive. And so, when the enemy comes against the church, tell me, Whitestone, what are the saints called to do? Put on the armor of God. And what else are we called to do? Pray. To pray, exactly. And so I want us to do that today, to join in unity and pray. And so every single Sunday, until this wretched time has left us, we are going to take time each Sunday to pray against this, this virus and ask God to remove it in the name of Jesus. And, and I want to ask God, not only that, that he might use this time of darkness for his good and that and that his kingdom would be extended in the midst of it, because God can do that. He can take horrible things and bring good out of it. Amen? Amen. So, in a little bit, I'm going to ask you to stand up where you are, and even if you want to get out even further, um, you certainly can. And I'm going to ask you, live stream people, when you're at home, please, I want you to be a part of this. But I want us to make this big, huge circle all around us, facing outward to kind of symbolize that we are asking God to answer our prayers across this entire nation, across this entire planet. And if you're comfortable, raise your hands. And we're going to all at the same time pray against this virus in the name of Jesus, in the name that has all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, we're going to do it Malawi style. Okay, We're connected to Malawi, Africa. And if you've ever been over there, when they gather together as a large group and they pray... We Americans, we have, Johnny, can you please pray? And we all gather, and he prays, and we're all thinking about everything else while he's praying. And then we bounce around one person at a time. In Malawi, guess what they do? They all pray at the same time out loud. Now, it's super weird at first, but when you're part of it, it's one of the most powerful times of prayer you can ever experience because all the saints are praying at the same time. So I want us to do that today. I want us to all pray at the same time. It may be a little awkward at first, um, but we're going to get used to it as we do this. Um, and I'm going to have a little bit of music playing as we do that, just to kind of feel, if you're feeling awkward, we can have that music going. But if you don't mind, let's stand up right now. And if you want to slide out and let's make this huge circle. I don't know if you can find your chairs when you, if you get back, but let's make this huge circle facing outward around our tent. And I'm going to let you guys pray for a few minutes. Let's do it out loud because there's power in the spoken word. And after a few minutes, then I'm going to get up and I'm going to close us all in prayer. Okay, so let's just do this together. You guys can stand right there. That's perfect.
Heavenly Father, I pray that you might hear the words of your saints crying out to you. I pray that you might act on our behalf, on behalf of our nation, on behalf of our world. I pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done in here at Whitestone, here in the Lake Country area, here in Wisconsin, here in America, here in the world. God, I pray that you would use us to extend your kingdom in the midst of this darkness. God, I pray that you would lift this virus in the name of Jesus. And I pray that your church might march ahead in full steam. And I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one whose name has all authority in heaven and on earth. Let it be so. Amen. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you, guys. If you can find your seats, let's sit back down. guys let's get to our series that we are in um i have not forgotten about you kids and quiz time or candy throwing time as you like to call it uh so let's get at it now as you notice i do not have a screen so i have my questions here you're gonna have to listen very carefully to the questions and i'm gonna just mosey all around i I did a little bit more questions this week so i can kind of make my way around the group and you guys can uh, take your time guessing okay let's do this section right here Uh, What was the reason for the split up between Paul and Barnabas? Anybody know? Raise your hand. Because John Mark left them. Exactly. Well done, bud. Okay, this section over here, okay? Where might have Paul and Barnabas both have been wrong? Where were they both probably wrong? That's right, they didn't listen to the Holy Spirit. Here you go, Hans. That was a horrible throw. You got that? Okay, this section back there. Who became Paul's new traveling partner? All right, I'll shout to you guys. Who became Paul's new traveling partner? I'll come around. Yeah. A demon inside of her. Very good. Well done. All right. This section right here in the middle. I'm coming up behind you guys in case you didn't know. 
This section right here. You ready? What did the young slave girl do when she saw Paul and Silas? That they were men of God. And does anybody know the second part? Yeah, they're coming to tell them to be saved. Exactly. Well done. All right, this front section. How long did this last where she kept shouting and shouting? How long did this last? Days. Well done. There you go, Christine. The Lord provides. Okay. Now, by whose authority did Paul cast out the demon? This section. By the name of Jesus Christ. Well done. Ooh, that's a bad one. Sorry. Okay. What happened to Paul and Silas after they did this? After they cast out the demon, what happened to Paul and Silas? They're in the back. I didn't hear you, but shout it up. They were arrested and what? Beaten and thrown into prison. Exactly. All right. About midnight... What ha- oh, no, 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 sorry. i got to jump ahead here. What did Paul and Silas do while chained in prison? That section kind of back there. Nobody raises hands in this church at all. What? They worshiped, and what else? Still don't see hands. There you go, buddy. What did they say? They prayed. See, you get... Whoop, sorry. Okay. About midnight... What happened? Raise hands. <laughs> what? You got it? Ready? Earthquake, exactly. Oh! Parishioner down. Here's an. Oh, you got it? Okay. Who got saved at the end of the story? This section here. Jailer and his family. Well done. Okay, and the last one, bonus, no matter what kind of situation, oh, you know what, I haven't been over at this place, I'm sorry guys, no matter what kind of situation or circumstance that we're in, all God needs is a blank vessel to accomplish what he wants. Raise your hand, very good. Willing, what were you going to say, bud? Yep, it was right, good job. All right, now I get to empty this whole box. I will say it's getting kind of melty. Here you go, guys. Heads up. You guys ready? You guys ready? Ready? Front there. Okay. Man, this is hard. Ready? Ready? That's what I need to do. Hit it off the ceiling. There go. Okay, you guys ready? All right, this section. Way in the back there. It's coming hard and fast. Heads up. This section over here. Even further in the back. The M&Ms are the dangerous ones because they just hovercraft around. Heads up. 
This section over here. Whoa, Chad, that almost took you out there, bud. This section here. All right, this section over here, you've waited patiently. Ready? This section over there. And this section right there. All right, good job, guys. Could spend 30 minutes throwing candy. All right. Okay, for the last several weeks, guys, we've been focusing on, the, on story after story of how Paul faced opposition, people who were against him in town after town, city after city. Remember Damascus? They were trying to kill him, so they had to lower him over a wall in a basket. Then he gets to Jerusalem, and it was the Christians there. They didn't want him. They didn't trust him, so they didn't welcome him in. And then uh, later on in Jerusalem, the Jews tried to kill him again, and so he had to run for his life. In the city of Lystra, they stone him, and they leave him for dead. Uh, then last week we talked about in Philippi that he gets beaten and thrown in jail. So constant opposition, constant people coming against him, all because he was following Jesus. And hopefully we're learning and hopefully we're understanding that that's going to be a reality, guys, for anyone who truly follows Jesus. Following Jesus in this evil world means that we're going to have to get used to living life against the current it's just going to be the reality it's part of life and we've seen that in paul's life so far but today if you'll let me i'm going to veer away from our series focus and focus on something else and that is the beauty of loving fellowship with fellow believers today we're going to see that in our story so if you have your bible and hopefully you have your bible if not open your phone where you can go to your your bible app and i want you to turn to acts chapter 19 that's where we're going to start today. Now, once again, as we've been facing every week, we are going to have to skip over a lot of stories of Paul because we don't have time to fit it into the series. Um, but something we need to understand is that we've only got like three more weeks to go through this series, and we are quickly approaching the end of Paul's life. It's looming in the near future. And you're going to see in the weeks to come, things are going to really heat up for Paul. Life is going to get super hard. Paul is sensing that the Lord wants him to, to go to Jerusalem. And, and I know that even though Paul has a sense of this, he knows that something is going to happen there. There's a sense of finality. And so when he's speaking to the people that he speaks with, you're going to see he speaks with this sense of finality. We're going to see that in today's story. Now, to set up for today's story, I want to back up a bit. And as you know, Paul has been traveling all over the place. I mean, literally the whole world. He's just been going all over the known world at that time. And, and, and he comes to a place called Ephesus. Okay, Now, Ephesus, I've heard so many times, it doesn't sound like a medication to me, so we're, we're okay with that one. just sounds like a regular city. But Paul ends up there in the city of Ephesus for about two to three years, speaking and, and teaching and going from home to home, teaching the disciples and not only that, he also spoke in this place called the Hall of Tyrannus. Okay? And, and the Hall of Tyrannus was kind of like this place where it was like a large covering and they did schooling there and people would go there to learn. Now, he first started off trying to teach in the synagogues of Ephesus, but the Jews kicked him out. And so he went to the Hall of Tyrannus. Okay? 
And he did this for about two years. And of course, there were some people who rejected what he had to say, but there were many who believed what he was saying, and they put their faith in Jesus. And this group grew larger and larger, and eventually it became known as the Church of Ephesus. It was this group of people who the book of Ephesians that you read, you have in your Bible, the book of Ephesians was written to this group of people, okay? But I want to show you something amazing. God was using Paul incredibly as he spoke in this hall of Tyrannus. I mean, it's, it's incredible. I want to show you this. Let me read this verse to you. Verse 10, it says, This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Let me read that to you again, because I know you can't see it on the screen. It says, this went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Tell me, Whitestone, how many Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord? All of them. All of them. And as I read that verse over and over, it kind of hit me. That's incredible. That's crazy incredible. Paul was an amazing man. You know, I'm not sure, but I'm guessing that the province of Asia is a pretty big place, okay? And there's probably a lot of people there. And guess what? Over the course of two years, all the people in that huge area heard the word of the Lord. The entire area of the province of Asia. Now, I don't know about you, but I read that verse and I got a little convicted. You want to know why? Here's why. I'm guessing, but I'd be willing to bet that the city of Economoc is a whole lot smaller than the province of Asia. And I've been living in the city of Economoc for 20 years. And I know for a fact that all of Economoc has not heard the word of the Lord. And I asked the Lord, I'm like, God, what's up with that? I feel like a failure in this. And I felt like the Lord says, Luke, it's because you don't live your life with purpose. Paul did. And as much as that kind of stings, you know, it's true. Purposeful people get the job done. Distracted people can't seem to ever finish a job. What kind of person are you? You know, let's just talk about it. In just our everyday lives, what kind of person are you? Are you the kind of person that when you got a job, it's like, dude, I'm going to nail this job. I'm going to get to the end. We're going to work all the way to the end. How many of you guys are kind of like that? Yep, you get her done, and just nothing gets in your way. How many of you guys are like me? My son will say, hey, Dad, I need this uh, jersey washed for Friday. Can you get that done? I'm like, sure, honey, I'll do it tomorrow. So the next day, I have a man, I am going to wash this jersey, and I will go to do laundry, and as I'm walking into the laundry room, I see the garbage, and it's full, and I'm like, ooh, I better empty that garbage. So I take the garbage down, and, and I realize we're out of garbage bags, and I'm like, well, I can't. And I realized, you know what? I need milk and eggs too. So I might as well just go to the grocery store and I'm going to go get milk and eggs and grocery bags and, or garbage bags. I come back and I see the milk and eggs and I'm like, you know, I'm just going to make myself breakfast right now while I'm here and I'll make breakfast. At the end of the day, my son will say, hey, dad, you got that jersey? And I'm like, dude, I forgot to wash your jersey. But we got milk and eggs and there's some garbage bags now. Now, why? Because I'm easily distracted. I'm not a purposeful person. And guys, a person who lives with his or her purpose right before them is going to accomplish the task that's before them. Watch them. We must live our lives with purpose. 
And guys, not just any purpose, a godly purpose. Listen, if we all lived our lives with the purpose and the mission of making disciples who know and who live and who extend the kingdom of God, I promise you this Lake Country area would hear the word of the Lord because the ripple effects of each of our lives would be incredible. God's grace would pour out over this land in ways we couldn't imagine. Let's live our lives with purpose. Let's set our hearts and our hands to the task. Amen? Let's do that. Well, like I said, Paul stayed in Ephesus for, for two, some call, scholars think, maybe even three years. And during those two years, God's power was poured out over Paul in incredible ways so that Paul was able to do some pretty incredible things, perform some pretty amazing, wonderful miracles. Let me show you. Verse 11 and 12, it says this, God did extraordinary, not just ordinary, but extraordinary, extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. That'd be like you guys, how many guys even use handkerchiefs anymore? Okay, it'd be like, okay, pull out your handkerchief. I'm gonna walk by and I'm gonna touch each one of your handkerchiefs. Then you can go back and you can touch that handkerchief to anyone who's sick in your life and they will get healed. Isn't that amazing? That was happening with Paul. Extraordinary miracles. God was also doing other things. You know, it's funny. We saw last week that, that Paul cast out a demon out of a young girl. And he must have been doing that in the name of Jesus. He was, you know, had the, you know using the authority of Jesus to cast out the kingdom of darkness. And in the, the city of Ephesus... In that area, there was a group of sons, seven sons. Their father's name was Sceva, so seven sons of Sceva. They had heard that Paul was casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And so they're like, you know what? We should try that. Let's try to do that ourselves. And so they went into this guy's house who had a demon, and they're like, we command you in the name of Jesus of whom Paul preaches to come out of this man. And the demon looks at the seven sons and goes, seven brothers, and goes, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who in the world are you? And the demon with that bird jumped on him, beat the living snot out of all seven of them. They ran out of the house naked because they, they were so beat up. They fled for their lives. Now, when people heard, I love that story, you know, by the way, I think it's funny. When people heard that story, they suddenly had a fear of God. A fear of the name of Jesus. They knew its authority and it was incredible to them. Not only so, they respected Paul. They're like, wow, this is a, a, a servant of the Most High God. So, so much so that people who were practicing sorcery at the time, they brought all their scrolls of sorcery and they brought it together and, and they put it in a fire and they burned it. They said that these scrolls of sorcery, each one of them were worth one drachma, which is like a full day's wages. And there were over 50,000 of these scrolls. Think of how much money was thrown into that fire there because they knew that God was right. God was working in a mighty way there in the, the city and region of Ephesus. So needless to say, when living with and teaching the church in Ephesus for two or three years, the people of the church grew to love Paul very much. And Paul loved them very much. As their shepherd that fellowship and love that they had for each other was very precious. 
And you know, as a pastor of this church here at Whitestone, I can understand how, he, how much he must have loved them. There is an incredible relationship between a pastor and his church. There really is. I can't even explain it. It's deeper than any relationship. I, I truly feel like I'm part of each one of your, your families. Um, it's the weirdest thing. For instance, whenever I go to a high school game and I get to watch your kids play in a high school game, I feel like it's my kid. I get all nervous for him. You know, I'm just, I'm cheering for him. I'm getting mad at the ref like, hey, it's a bad call. What are you doing? He just called a guy. He's all uh, following. He didn't follow me. He was standing right there. You know, and I get all mad because I feel like they're my kid. I mean, I, I, I feel like you guys are, are my family. Um, uh, when you guys have things in your life to celebrate, like anniversaries, like graduations, when you... You know, when you're going to have a baby, like Amanda and John are going to have a baby. I'm so excited about that. I mean, I get super excited when you guys are celebrating great things. When I see God using you in, in unique and amazing ways, man, I, I get this, this pride wells up in my chest because I'm just so proud of you. I really feel that. Now, uh, those are the good things, but on the flip side, I also feel the pain. When I see marriages hurting and struggling, man, it just kills me. I hurt with you. When I see people suffering, all I want to do is rescue them as if they were my own family because to me, you are my family. And just a couple days ago, I was in the living room of a family with a father who had to tell his three children some devastating news about their mother. It was horrible. And the kids are crying and sobbing and I had my arms around the whole family and we're all just weeping and I'm feeling the pain of what's going on here. I remember holding that little boy and just squeezing him tight into my chest, and it felt like it was my son. I remember kneeling at the bed of my buddy Jerry Biter and holding his hand as he breathed his final breath before he walked into the arms of Jesus, and just being there with the family, feeling that pain. And you know, as a pastor, you get invited into some of the most deepest, most vulnerable, most precious times of life, and in doing so, you feel like you belong to these families. And there are moments that I'll never forget because they become part of who I am. And, and I feel like I'm part of those families for having gone through it with them. And you know, I'm positive that Paul had those experiences with this church at Ephesus. I can totally understand the relationship that must have developed between Paul and the church there in Ephesus. It is a precious, precious thing. But as you know, Paul, he was always on the go. He, he felt like he needed to keep telling more and more people about Christ. And, and so he had to leave Ephesus to keep going on his missionary journeys. And I'm sure it was not easy for him to leave. And it, I'm sure it was super hard for the church to let him leave. But he did leave. And he continued his journey of preaching and teaching in town after town and city after city. And you can read about those experiences if you want to. You can go back and look at them. But as I said before, his life was coming to an end and, and he felt this nudge from the Holy Spirit that he needed to return back and go to Jerusalem. So he decided, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to head back to Jerusalem. But on his way, what he decided to do is I'm going to go and visit all these churches that I planted, all these disciples in these different towns, and I want to encourage them. I want to bless them. I want to just pour some more encouragement into their lives before I get to Jerusalem. Well, unfortunately, guess what? Ephesus was not one of those cities he stopped at. And I'm sure that broke his heart, but he came to a town called 
Miletus, sounds like athlete's foot cream. Miletus, he, he gets to Miletus and apparently he was somewhat close to, to Ephesus. So he sends for the elders of Ephesus to come to Miletus. And he's like, guys, would you please come? I want to spend some time with you. And so the elders, they all arrive there. And when they get there, Paul begins to speak to them. And I want us to look at some of the things Paul tells them and in, do, in doing so, because the reason I want us to do it, because I think there's some things that will give us a peek into Paul's life and encourage us. So let's look at what he says. If you have your Bibles, chapter 20, verse 18. It says, when they, the elders, arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. And in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents, you know that I've not hesitated to preach to you anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to stop there for a second, and I want you to notice something about Paul and what he's saying. Paul, it says, shared Christ fearlessly. No matter the opposition, Paul shared Christ fearlessly. To the Jews, to the Gentiles, it didn't matter. He was fearless in sharing Christ to the world. And I think we can learn something here. Pay attention to this, Whitestone. When it comes to sharing Christ in our lives, we must become fearless. Now, I know you don't have a screen, so I'm going to make you repeat after me so that you get these things that we're talking about down. Okay, Repeat after me. When it comes to sharing Christ... In our lives, lives, we must become fearless. fearless. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Preach the whole sermon that way. So let me ask you this. What must we become fearless at? Yep, sharing Christ. Exactly. You know, it's interesting to me how fearless we are when it comes to our opinions. (laughs) Opinions on certain things, I mean, we will fearlessly share those opinions and debate about them and argue them fiercely. Oh yeah, we have no fear about that. But when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to our Lord, we become strangely quiet, don't we? We just like, I don't want to face any persecution. I don't want people to think I'm weird. I don't want people to, you know, say anything bad at me. And we tend to hide our spiritual walk with Christ because we might fear some persecution or be made fun of. Whitestone, listen to me. We are to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And if there is anything that we must become fearless at, it's sharing Christ with the world. Amen? That's what we must do. So let's live fearlessly in this world when it comes to our Lord. Now, just because we're ambassadors of Jesus Christ and we're to live fearlessly, it does not mean that we do so all pompously and like, man, I'm the one that's got all the answers. You're the dumb one. You're the one that's ignorant. And I'm here with all the answers. We don't do it like that. No, Paul says this. When it comes to sharing Christ in our lives, we must do it fearlessly, but also humbly. So repeat after me. When it comes to sharing Christ in our lives, lives, we must do it fearlessly, but also humbly. Remember what Paul told the elders of Ephesus? He said, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears. That's how we must live out our fearlessness, with great humility and with tears. Remember, guys, God pours out grace 
on the humble. When you're humble, he pours out his grace on you. Let's keep reading. It says, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Look at that there. And now, compelled by the Holy Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. Tell me, who is telling Paul to go to Jerusalem? The Holy Spirit is, exactly. The Holy Spirit is guiding and directing him. He doesn't know yet what's waiting for him there. The Spirit hasn't given him the details yet. All he knows is that whatever city he goes into, the Spirit has warned him, hey, you're going to face hardship in prison probably here. Okay? He warns them. And I actually think that's kind of cool. As Paul enters a city, the Holy Spirit would tell him what to expect. There's one time where he comes into a city and the Holy Spirit says, Paul, stay here because no one's going to attack you. Nobody's going to come after you. You're going to be safe. So just stay here. Keep preaching. So he did. There's another time he goes into a city and he says, hey, Paul, just to warn you, you're going to get thrown into prison. You're going to get beaten here. You're going to face hardship here. The Spirit kept him aware of what was going on. It's like the Spirit gave him his news bulletins. He didn't have to watch CNN or Fox or Facebook. He got it from the Holy Spirit, and I think that's just awesome. And he just obeyed hardship and all. Which, guys, we should ask ourselves, could we do that? What if somebody says, hey, Tom, I want you to go to Chicago. I want you to go to this certain neighborhood, and I want you to preach Christ fearlessly there. And so you get in your car and you start driving down to Chicago. And right when you're pulling into Chicago, the Lord says, hey, by the way, you're going to get beat up, probably thrown into prison. You're going to face a lot of hardship. What would we do? <laughs> God, why didn't you say that when I first left? You know, and we would question that. I don't know if I want to face that. Paul didn't do that. If the Holy Spirit said go, then it meant go. If the Holy Spirit said stay, then it meant stay. And you know, guys, we can learn from that. Paul let the Spirit guide him, which in my opinion made him fearless. If we share Christ to the world around us and we let the Spirit direct us, we will be fearless and humble. But we have to let the Spirit guide us. So I want you to repeat after me. By letting the Holy Spirit guide us, we can share, share Christ fearlessly and humbly. We can share Christ fearlessly. Guys, the worst thing we could ever do is just try to do this on our own, making our own decisions, doing it our own way. That would be terrible. The Holy Spirit must be our guide because we're doing it with Him. Let me keep reading. He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim, listen to this, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. And what's that task? The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Man, you can see the purpose-driven life Paul lived here. He says, my life is worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task God has given me. Wow. Let me ask you a question. What task has God given you? Do you know? If you do, let me ask you, is your life more important than your task? Or is your task more important than your life? 
Look again at what Paul is saying. He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. The only thing I want to focus on is the race and finishing the task. It's a little bit like a race. How many of you guys ran track in high school? A few of you guys. How many of you guys actually ran the 400 race? Okay. You guys, that's, that is the hardest race in all of track because you're literally supposed to sprint the entire way. You're just supposed to give it your all the entire way. I'm a terrible runner. I have no idea why my coach put me in this, but in the 4x4 relay, I got put in as the first leg. Okay? Jerry, that's not funny. <laughs> when you start running, you go like, this ain't so bad. I'm okay. This is fine. Yeah, I'm all right. And, and then you get to about the 100 mark, and you're like, eh, I'm a little bit tired, but whatever. And then you get the 200 mark, and you're like, oh, my land. What have I done? Why am I in this race? I hate my coach. And you're going along... And you feel, and our coach would always tell us this. He said, guys, just to let you know, when you hit the 200 mark, a monkey is going to jump on your back. Okay? He says, and this sounds really weird hearing your preach this, but your butt's going to clamp down like this. And your vision is going to go like this. And I was like, oh, yeah, right, coach, whatever. You're just exaggerating. I'm not joking. A huge monkey jumps on your back at the 200 mark, and you're like, oh, my word, what is he doing on me? And you're running like this. Your butt clamps down and you're kind of running like that. And your vision, it's the weirdest thing. All you see is this little circle. But you know what? All you're thinking about is what? Finish the race. Finish the race. Finish the race. I don't care about all this. I'm going to that tape. I'm running to that finish line. I'm going to finish the race. You know, I love that Paul says that. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me. And if that means prison, that means prison. If that means I'm going to get beaten, then I'm going to get beaten. It doesn't matter. I don't care about my life. I only care about my mission. So repeat after me. For a disciple of Christ, mission and task must always take priority. Our lives take second place. You guys know the words of Jesus. He says, if anyone would follow me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and what? Follow me. Jesus says, if you want to find my life, you must lose your life. Our lives no longer run the show. Jesus does. Amen? Now, Paul said many more things in his address to the Ephesian elders, but we don't have time to talk about it, but I want to end with this, of what he says at the end of the chapter. Let me read it to you. It says, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. And they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. Now, I don't know about you, but when you read this passage of how Paul addresses the elder, you will see throughout the whole thing a deep, deep love for each other being shown. Paul loved these people, and they loved him. When Paul was done speaking, he knelt down with all of them, and they began to pray. And I can picture them having their arms around each other, praying and asking Lord, the Lord to work. And when they got up, they were all weeping. 
And they hugged him and they kissed him and they just grieved. It was almost like a death because they knew they were going to never see him again. And I can imagine just the tears going on and on. They loved each other. You know what I love that it says? They accompanied him to the ship. I love that. You know, we do that for the people we love, isn't it? We, we go to where, to the last place they leave. So a little bit, those of you who are old enough, how, do you guys, how many of you guys are old enough to remember the airport without security? Okay, remember what those are like? When you took someone to the airport, it wasn't just, get out, and head off again. You went to the parking lot. Everybody parked. You got out the luggage and you walked with them and you went along. And I remember doing this with my parents as kids. And you'd go all the way to where? The gate. Exactly. And then finally they would call them to come up and they'd walk down the hall and we'd be all, see ya, see ya. And they'd get their last corner and go, see ya. And we'd wave. And then what would you do? Yeah, you'd go to the window and look out the window and try to see, you know, to see if they got a seat where their window's there, that little circle there. And pretty soon you'd see someone going, and you'd be at the window, hey, there they are, there they are. And then what would you do? You would wait for what? The plane to take off, exactly. We'd all stand there and watch it taxi down, you know, to the end and then take off. And then you just kind of have this pit in your stomach like, it's all over. We'd all go back to our car and head home. That's what it was like at airports way back when. Little kids, you have no idea what I'm talking about because you're just like, it's just drop and go now. And I think that's what these people did with Paul. I think they walked with Paul to the gang playing onto the ship and then Paul's walking up to the top and he's waving to him and they're waving to him and he gets to the top and they probably walk down. There he is, there he is. Goodbye, Paul. And then the ship slowly sails away and they're waving and waving until he comes out of sight. They loved him. You know, Paul faced a ton of opposition in his life. His life seemed to always be against the current. But I don't want to focus on that today. I want to focus on the many dear brothers and sisters who he loved and who loved him. And you know, guys, love is a pretty amazing thing among followers of Jesus Christ. It really is. A true church is a church that is filled with love. Listen to me. Listen, listen to this. Love must be the ingredient of every single church, especially Whitestone. And I say especially Whitestone because it's Whitestone who's sitting here today. Love must be our main ingredient. Because listen to me. When love dies in any church, the work of Christ withers. Begins to wither. So repeat after me. Love must be the main ingredient of our church. If love were to die in our church, the work of Christ would wither. Guys, we can't let love die in our church. We must love each other. We live and we face an evil world. And the kingdom of darkness, we face it. It is out for our destruction. And you know what, guys? That is a reality. Whether you like it or not, that's a reality. And so we must join hands and with love stand by each other. You know, guys, I can face pretty much any opposition 
in my life if I know that I have a group of people who love me. They may not all agree with me, but I know they love me. And I want to say, Whitestone, that has been you throughout all these years. You have been that to me. And I'm so thankful for you. And hopefully I've been that for you. I hope you know how much I love you because I do. You know, I've often heard from others that this Whitestone family is one of the most loving families they've ever experienced. And you know, I believe that. I feel that too. But I fear that the enemy might be trying to rip that away from us. He's trying to divide us in such a way that we might begin to stop loving each other. And like I said, guys, if we stop loving each other, the work of Christ in our midst is going to begin to wither. We can't let that happen. Listen, we are to love regardless if we agree or not, because love does what's best for that other person's sake. Love thinks of the other person. Love beareth all things. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Listen to this. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. And listen to me, it always trusts, it always protects, and it always hopes, and it always, always perseveres. Love never, ever fails. Amen? Love has to be our main ingredient. So let's love each other. And why would we love each other? Quite frankly, because God loved us first. We could never love each other if God had not loved us first. Our love for each other flows out of our love from God. You know, ironically, in the book of Ephesians, you know that church that Paul loved so dearly, Paul writes out a prayer that he was praying for this dear church in Ephesus. The people he loved so much. Let me, let me read this prayer. He says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep the love of Christ is. And to know this love that surpasses all knowledge. Guys, I don't know if you notice that love that we find ourselves in. How many dimensions are mentioned? Four. And Paul says, I pray that you may know how wide, how long, how high, and how deep the love of God is for you. You know, I think it wouldn't be such a great, I think it would be a great practice for us one week to say, God, I pray that you might show me how long your love is for me. And then the other week go, God, I pray that you might show me how wide your love is for me. And the next week pray and say, God, I pray that you might teach me how high your love is for me. And then the next week, go, God, teach me how deep your love is for me. Because I'll tell you, when we start to understand that we are loved by God in this way, with this amount of love, with a love that surpasses all knowledge, guess what? We're going to love each other even more. So let's bask in God's love first and foremost, and then out of that love, love each other. Because love 
never fails. Let me end with this. Jesus says, the world will know that you're my disciples if you what? You love one another. The world's going to know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And Whitestone, that's what we want everyone to see, right? It's Jesus. Like I said at the beginning of the sermon, seeing Jesus is what's important. Seeing God in our midst is the most important thing. So let's make that happen by letting love triumph in our midst. Amen? Whitestone, I love you. I truly, truly love you. I hope you know that. And I want you to know that today. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are a God of love. And you demonstrated your love to us by sending your son down to this earth while we were at our worst. To be able to rescue us from this kingdom of darkness and place us into your kingdom of light. And God, we are a church family here today with all sorts of different opinions, with all sorts of different ideas on different things. But God, we are brothers and sisters. And you've called us to love each other. So God, I pray against evil and evil people and the evil one in our midst. I pray that you might drive darkness from this Whitestone family so that we might be a family who truly loves each other. So that when the world sees us, They see you, God, because we want to point people to you. And I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, our King and our Lord. Amen. Whitestone, I love you to death. Have an amazing week. And you can hang around for as long as you want. We'll see you later. Have a great week. See you next Sunday.